0: You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Therapy for Women podcast. How are we doing? We're doing good this week, so happy to be here. Yes, yes. We're having a good Friday. As you all know, we record on Fridays, and we've got a special guest with us today. Um, We have Lauren, who's one of our resident therapy for
1: women therapists. (laughs) Hi, Lauren. Hello. Thank you guys for having me. Yes. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. Lauren is
2: uh, one of our clinical coordinators uh, for our Center City office, and she's also our eating disorder specialist. So welcome, Lauren. We're
0: really happy to have you here today. Yeah, thanks. No, it's great to be here. Yay. Yeah. Well, Lauren, before we jump into our topics for today, I know we talked about this, the dreaded question of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you as a therapist, kind of how you got to be where you are, and, and some of your specialties. Yeah, so,
1: you know... I kind of, interestingly enough, like got the idea of being a therapist because my mom was actually a therapist when I was growing up and like, I didn't have a great imagination. My two career options were my mom's career and my dad's career. And (laughs) when I got to college, like therapy just kind of like clicked and I've wanted to, you know, be a therapist ever since. So yeah, I was kind of like a pretty straight kind of shot into this career path for me. Amazing. Can I, can I ask, what was your dad's career? Oh, he was an attorney. So it would have been a very different (laughs) lifestyle. Okay. Very different. (laughs) Yeah. Like very little overlap.
2: (laughs) Actually, that's funny. Widener has a program, which is a JD, PsyD program. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like very niche yeah, so that's a fun little fact that there is like actually an overlap. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and
1: at one point I was really interested in forensic psychology um, and kind of got into a niche of like working with offenders and working in like the criminal justice system. I've since gotten away from that and specialized more in eating disorders. But that was a little bit of the overlap that did end up happening for for a time.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
1: I didn't realize you uh, had an interest before in
2: forensic psychology. So that's a new fun fact for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, Lauren and I have actually known each other for about
1: five, six years now. Yeah, maybe maybe even more than that. It feels yeah. like that time's really flown. I We worked together um, at a residential treatment for eating disorders. Um, yes. Yeah. Must have been like 2016, 2017. Uh, 2017 when I graduated yeah okay. so, yeah because yeah. you were there part-time before me
2: but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so um, so it's been a while so you know we eating disorders is where you and I started our like post-masters careers so I think it's like poignant as we roll into the summer to talk about eating disorders disordered eating body image, uh, the bombardment on social media for every diet plan under the sun and workout plan that we could possibly think about.
1: It's it's a lot. So, (laughs) Yeah. And now is the time that it really starts kind of like hitting social media, people kind of like really starting to blast that out that the diet and like fitness industry are making a lot of their money this time of year. And so a lot of that marketing is like really in everybody's faces right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just, uh, this is probably not a, this is non-therapy, non-therapist Fern saying this, that if the industry was smart, they would do all their marketing in the cold months if we're using it as like your quote, bikini body. But then anyway, that was just, that's a whole segue of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. They do. They make a lot of money in the, in the summer of promoting how you should be looking, Mm -hmm. which is just frustrating.
2: Yeah. How do you kind of start working with clients when these things start popping up? I find it, you know, myself, even with clients that aren't necessarily seeing me for eating disorders um, or disordered eating, to kind of start bringing up self-image and body and more focused on how they look and their weight this time of year than others. So, yeah, like kind of talk us through how it comes up and what are some of your tips for combating that pressure to – fit (laughs) of old
1: yeah I think like what you're saying Gabby like brings up something for me like in terms of like we're having this conversation about like eating disorders right now but like this is also something that like you don't have to have an eating disorder to struggle with Mm -hmm. 100% yes and like it's really kind of like baked into like the way that our culture and society kind of like engages just with like you know warmer weather or just kind of like bodies in general like they're are a lot of things that we're getting as, like a societal and like cultural message that can feel really harmful and that a lot of people can struggle with, whether they have like a diagnosed eating disorder, they struggle with disordered eating, or if they're just really kind of like dealing with a lot of like negative thoughts about like their body and like what it means for maybe their body to change, especially going from like winter to summer season or going year to year or life transitions. So like the winter to summer kind of like season transition is often kind of like a time where a lot gets brought up because you're changing out your wardrobe and like trying on clothes for the first time in a while. And so I often have like clients come in and say like, I tried this on and it didn't fit. And that like made me feel really bad or I really struggled with that. And whether they're in recovery and trying to kind of like manage those thoughts of like, okay, how do I not Do anything about these thoughts and sit with the uncomfortable emotions that come up, or if they're just kind of like struggling more generally with body image and saying, like, okay, like, what do I do with this? You know, like I'm having, you know, thoughts about like wanting to go on this diet plan, or I saw this thing on TikTok or Instagram, or this person at my gym made a comment. Like, you know, being able to kind of like talk about and like unpack that in therapy can be really helpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What does unpacking those emotions actually look like? What are some of those probing questions we should be asking ourselves in the moment when we are confronted with our jeans from the summer before that fit last year don't fit this year or the bathing suit that we love and you know spent a ton of money on, you know, mm. last year or 2 years ago is not covering what it should be? <laughs> <laughs> right like those are the real things so like how do you deal with that like what do you start asking yourself how do you kind of dig in there
1: yeah I mean I think it's a good question because like our relationship with our bodies are so complicated right like on the surface it's just like you know size and numbers you know I think like there's often kind of like a misconception about like struggling with body image as being something that's like vain but often there's like a lot more like meaning and like you know like deeper layers behind it and so you know for a lot of clients when they come in and kind of like say oh well this is something that either like we've been struggling with for a while but I should just like do something about it. I get that message a lot from clients If like, I know what to do. I should just do it to change my body. If they haven't been like in therapy before, or like maybe haven't explored much of their relationship with their body or for clients who have been doing that work, they might kind of say, this feels vain. I wanted to unpack this. I wanted to like, you know, like stop investing in the system, but like, I'm still having these thoughts and I'm still struggling with it. Like, I think it's helpful to understand that, like, on the surface, it's about kind of, like, you know, that clothing, that piece of clothing not fitting. But often we put a lot more meaning behind that. And there's a lot of, like, our past experiences that can get kind of, like, brought up from that moment of, like, trying on your jeans and, like, them not zipping up or them not fitting the way that you're used to them fitting that have, like, a lot of pain associated with those memories. Mm. And so... You know, I think, like, one of the things that's interesting about, like, doing body image work is, like, that you never really know exactly where it's going to lead because there are so many different layers and kind of, like, deeper societal and, like, family and cultural kind of, like, aspects to that relationship with your body. For sure. Yeah.
2: I think, like, there's just, yeah, like, so much pressure and so much unsaid a lot around bodies and body image and stigma that once you start actually digging in and getting to it, like there's some really deep core beliefs that we often have about ourselves and our value and our worth based specifically around our appearance and our weight.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's it's not easy and it's, it's definitely one of those um, subjects or matters that – Is constantly in the background of things. And it's like the big, you know, purple elephant in the room that nobody wants to actually address. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, as we're talking, one of the things that I'm thinking about is because you both see clients that, you know, experience eating disorders. I do not. Um, And so my scope of practice kind of ends at doing general body image, self esteem exploration work. And so, you know, Lauren, and actually, you know, Gabby, obviously you too, but but since Lauren, you're our guest, I'd love to hear your opinion, is I guess where does the line begin from, you know, doing body image work, kind of working on like just your relationship with food and your body in general versus going into disordered eating or an eating disorder? Where are the differences between those three, would you say?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question because I think, you know, there's Like a lot of, it's kind of like on a spectrum, right? Like we were saying, like, you don't have to struggle with an eating disorder to like struggle with body image or like your relationship with food. And we kind of, you know, in the field and with clients, sometimes I'll use like the term like disordered eating, right? And so I think it's important to remember that like eating disorders are like a DSM like diagnosis. So there are like certain criteria that need to be met for like, you know, being able to say that you have kind of like
2: anorexia,
1: bulimia, atypical anorexia, atypical. Yeah. And I think the the term that's coming up and maybe I'm like getting this wrong and dating myself, like the um, otherwise specified like eating disorder that like doesn't totally fit into a category but does fit like clinical criteria for like a disorder that like maybe requires medical attention or higher levels of care or even binge eating disorder, right? Which, you know, is
2: actually more of the, one of the most common eating disorders there are, there is out there. And yeah, like, I think there's always a gray area. And so, yes, like like Lauren was saying, is what eating disorder diagnosis is based on the DSM, mm-hmm. but there's this gray area of disordered eating.
1: Yeah. And, and it's kind of like a little bit, on that spectrum right like maybe you're struggling with like behaviors with food but they don't like meet the criteria right and so there there's still something to like address and that's causing maybe even like harm or um that is really distressing and like disruptive to people's lives but might not meet like that criteria and a lot of people fall into that category of like disordered eating and i think like especially in like past generations like older generations like you know in a lot of older women i think like you hear the term kind of like on TikTok or social media of like this idea of like an almond mom right Mm -hmm. where like yes Maybe there's never been an actual like eating disorder diagnosis, but there's certainly like a lot of really harmful like beliefs and like ideas about food and bodies that, you know, their children or people around them can can struggle with that, that, that might fall into that category of like disordered eating. Yeah. yeah. And then like maybe you're not engaging in any like negative behaviors about or like just disordered behaviors around food but you're still really struggling with your body image and feeling like really dissatisfied with how you feel in your body or having a lot of distress around your experience in your body and you know i think that like that that is also a common experience even if it's not resulting in like a change in behavior around like what you're doing with food that like it doesn't mean that there's not something to attend to around like that that body image and it sounds like Fern, as you were talking, like that distinction, right, in terms of like what a lot of therapists will hear clients come in and talk about dissatisfaction with their bodies and kind of like do good work around like body image and like relationship with food even, but that those clients wouldn't necessarily even kind of like be presenting with like disordered eating or an eating disorder. I hope that's helpful and like clear in terms of like that distinction cuz it's it's complicated.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's clear to me. I obviously can't speak for anyone listening, but right, it's it's to, so what I take from that is that like most of us probably experience a struggle to some degree with accepting our body, loving our body, just with the world that we live in versus someone that's experiencing disordered eating or has an eating disorder, it's more about behaviors around like your relationship with food and your
1: body. Mm-hmm. For sure,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, I think like another important aspect of that too is just kind of like the degree of distress like you you experience around it, and like how how kind of distorted your like view of your body might be, right? Like that those are also kind of things that maybe aren't behaviors, but that would take kind of like somebody who would have like disordered eating or an eating disorder and kind of differentiate them from somebody who's just struggling with like having like low self-esteem or bad body image. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. This is off topic a little bit in terms of this distinction, but just because you both worked at the same residential treatment facility, I am curious what your experiences around that were like right? because there's a big difference between being in that type of treatment facility versus being an outpatient therapist who's seeing someone with a, uh, an eating disorder?
2: Uh, residential treatment is sometimes necessary for some people. Um, it can be very helpful. It can be even life-saving. Um, it can be the place where somebody learns, you know, really just how to start feeding themselves and starts learning the basic coping skills for dealing with day-to-day in one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is that it is a bubble. And the bubble is very protective. And you don't have to deal with the outside world. And you don't have to deal with your parents. And you don't have to deal with your spouse. And you don't have to deal with, you know, work and school and all the other things, right? Because your focus is just on treatment. And. I think for a short time, yes, it's great. And then there, it can also be used as an avoidance.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and something too, like with with like the different levels of care for eating disorders, like, you know, Gabby and I are both social workers and like one of the kind of values in that is like the least restrictive setting possible. Right. And so one of the things about dealing with an eating disorder is that there are often like medical complications that can arise from like engaging in behaviors around food and an exercise that can that can be really dangerous and sometimes that level of care is really necessary and like Gabby said, like really life saving. I think in terms of what it's like to work in that setting, it can be so rewarding. Um, but it's also really challenging, I think, for patients who are there, and also just the like, clinicians who are there as well, because nobody wants to have to go into residential treatment, right? Right. You know, of course. Even if it is that escape, like nobody wants to have to escape their life in that way either, right? And so it's it's a tricky place to be in for a lot of clients who are stepping up and stepping down, but it can be a really helpful stepping stone in terms of providing a little bit of a foundation of time without engaging in behaviors where you're kind of like really monitored and supported and like not engaging in like disordered behaviors with food um, and exercise. And it, it can be a little bit of that reset to start to learn that like you can tolerate your emotions without using those behaviors to manage. And And I think that like that's You know something that we haven't quite like touched on in in this like podcast episode so far but kind of like the way in which like we conceptualize eating disorders or at least like i do in my treatment is that they're emotional disorders and that like while they're centered around like behaviors and kind of like what people are doing with food exercise you know how much they're eating or not eating um etc like that those behaviors are an attempt to manage an emotional experience that feels intolerable. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So in in the residential treatment setting you get like a very intense version of treatment where it's like all at once and very kind of very much so like you're taken away from like your coping skills and and kind of kind of trial by fire like giving the opportunity to like try and form some new ones. Outpatient treatment is very different in terms of like what that looks like of coming in. You know, we're not with you 24-7, you're not able to monitor behaviors. And so it's it's a very different experience and like being in outpatient treatment for an eating disorder versus some of the other levels of care. And, and there are other levels of care also in between like seeing like a therapist like myself, like once a week and like getting all the way into like residential or inpatient treatment yes
2: yeah i think like the big thing too with residential is it's sometimes like the basics of just educating not only the patient but their families on what is going on and just giving them basic knowledge about how to support what an eating disorder is how you know Loved ones' emotions play a role in the client's day-to-day, even sometimes addressing a loved one's eating disorder or disordered eating that is showing up in our family sessions. Residential, you know, is a level of care that's also really dictated by insurance. So I think that's a whole other level, which is hard because you can see clients that really are doing quote-unquote well, and but they need more time. And we're fighting for time every day for them to stay. And the other part of this is that it's expensive.
0: I think – well, you know, we always – we kind of always joke in all of our podcast episodes, like, that's a whole other episode, right? It's kind of become our tagline. And I I feel like in the topic of just insurance and how it can be a really great thing but a really frustrating and Mm -hmm. (laughs) a a lot of other words (laughs) thing. Mm -hmm. there's such a larger conversation to have around insurance and the effects that it plays in in healthcare and treatment and taking care of yourself and getting like your basic needs met for care across the board right not just not just in this area yeah
2: mm-hmm. because that's the thing about eating disorder treatment it's not just mental health but there is a large component of this that is also medical especially in eating disorder treatment, because there's heart issues, blood pressure, metabolic issues, there's like GI issues, there's vitamin deficiencies and levels. And thank God for our registered dietitians, because they know what they're looking at. Thank God for our nurses that do the work, because they know what they're looking at. And they work, we all work hand in hand. It's such a team effort. Yeah
1: that's such a good point Gabby and like brings up one of the other things about like you know coming into like therapy for an eating disorder that might look a little bit different than somebody who's coming in for depression or anxiety that like there's often more of that team approach because it is such kind of like a cross the board health issue that like it it affects like all of these different aspects of life and so often when you're you know, in therapy for, like, treatment for an eating disorder, your therapist is talking to a dietitian or asking for a release to talk with your, like, primary care provider to make sure that, like, it's safe to be treating you outpatient and also to make sure that, like, all of the things that are needed to be in place to support, like, our clients are, like, working together and, um, like that that everything's being addressed rather than just kind of like the the emotional health component which is more of like the therapist's role in that that you know like the the specific behaviors with food like might be better supported by like a registered dietitian yes yeah. rather than us talking about it in, in sessions every week
0: mm-hmm. right yeah Lauren, you mentioned something earlier about like excessive exercise, and I was wondering if you could touch on that too, because I think a lot of people don't think about the role that exercise can also play in some of these behaviors.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something that can often be really like overlooked when somebody's looking at their own relationship with like food in their body but exercise can become disordered when it's done in a compensatory way and it's it's tricky because like we often hear like in like fitness culture kind of like messages that reinforce that of like you know I, I don't even want to like repeat them. I know because they're <laughs> but, so toxic. You're like, Ugh. yeah. Um, I was going to give an example, and I just like couldn't bring myself to say it out loud. But, but yeah, like when when exercise is done out of guilt because you don't feel like you deserve a break, or because you feel like you have to based on like what you ate the day before or what you want to eat later, that can be a really slippery slope. And actually, like excessive exercise can. Have like negative health impacts, which I think, I don't know for you, Gabby. I know a lot of clients that I've worked with have a really hard time like conceptualizing that just because we're always told, really like unilaterally, that like exercise is good.
2: Yes, exercise is so important. Move your body, it releases endorphins, it gets you going, all the above. It becomes a problem when you can't cope without it. It becomes a problem when you feel immense guilt without doing about like not doing it. Or if you're injured
1: and you can't stop. Yes.
2: Yes. That one. Or even like the traveling and you have to like bring your weights with you. Or like wanna know where if there's a gym at the hotel or, you know, any of the above versus like just taking the time off. And like that, I think, is where like the slippery slope is. And, you know, even like gyms that like are like, let's do, you know, the weight loss challenge. And you're like, I come to the gym just to move my body. I didn't realize we need to discuss my weight here too, sirs.
0: If you're looking for some extra support with your mental health, now is a great time to see a therapist. Our practice has therapists located in 24 states across the country And we have three local offices in the Philadelphia area. Don't let sad girl summer become depressed girl fall. Book your appointment now.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, and even like little comments too that can get made by like fitness instructors. Like, you know, I I think like it, it brings us to like a whole other topic, which is kind of like all of the like comments about bodies and like compensating for food that, are really ubiquitous in like moving around the world, wh- whether it's your family or your fitness instructor or like just some person that you like meet one day at like a party, right? Like there are a lot of comments about like earning food, like compensating for food. And they tend to come up a lot around like holidays, yes, New Year's and the summertime again too. Like when like we were saying, like when when we're kind of like switching clothes and, you know, thinking about being in clothing that shows more of our bodies. But but yeah, like dealing with those comments can be really triggering and they can be really harmful comments to people who are recovering from an eating disorder or trying to like repair their relationship with their body. For sure.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I even hear it you know, Fern and I are both getting ready for a wedding and, you know, sweating for the wedding, right?
0: <laughs> That's
1: how I feel about that.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just exhausting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and like, again, like those like big life transitions, like weddings and like having a baby, like our, our culture just really kind of like sends this message of like, your body should be as small as possible and you should get back to whatever body you had before this major like life transition, like that maybe you're going through with pregnancy or fertility treatment or what, whatever it might be. And, you know, I think a good example of like what we were talking about before that like there's often this kind of like coded, like deeper meaning around that, of like, um, especially for women, right? Like what bodies are valuable like what gives you privilege like Mm -hmm. what kind of like how other people might treat you based on like your body size and like that those are all very real things that can be really painful and can can also like really affect how people feel like they're interacting with the world and like the systems of privilege around them it's not ever easy I don't think and there's always this
2: thought or question of like, is somebody going to make a comment? Is there going to be something that's said or not said? And whether it's, you know, interpersonally or externally from outside sources of, you know, strangers, doctors, et cetera, there's always this like on edge feeling of, is somebody going to comment about my body? Is somebody going to suggest that I do something? Is somebody going to make a statement uh, that I didn't ask for? We rarely do when
0: someone comments yeah. on our body. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Lauren, you brought up a little bit there about, you know, fertility treatment. And I think that's actually something that's not talked about a lot is the that like what fertility treatment does to women's bodies and the process of that and the struggles around hormones and weaking and general swelling that occurs. During fertility treatment. So, I don't know. Do you want to share a little bit on
1: that or talk any more about that? Yeah. Well, I guess a little bit of self disclosure is that like I went through infertility and um, did fertility treatments and ended up going through IVF and am currently pregnant, which is not always the outcome for people who are struggling with infertility. But yeah, I'm celebrating. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a really difficult space to navigate in terms of body image. And I think one of the things that can be really tough is that fertility like specialists and kind of the, the status quo in fertility treatment is that it's, it's kind of a fat phobic space. There's often like a lot of messaging around like needing to lose weight for people who are in larger bodies and coming in for fertility treatment. And so that. Is definitely something that is a really triggering kind of thing for anybody who might be struggling to conceive on their own who then would want to seek out like fertility treatment to help them help assist them with trying to get pregnant and then on top of that the whole process itself can i mean there are different types of fertility treatments some more intrusive than others but even like egg freezing for those who like might want to choose to try and kind of like preserve their eggs for like like family planning in the future that there are a lot of hormones involved in these fertility treatments and a lot of shots and all of that like really there's a lot of stress and that can really affect like how your body's responding to food, how you're feeling emotionally and how you might want to cope with food. And there are just like natural side effects, especially in like the egg retrieval process that somebody going through like egg freezing or IVF would go through that results in like a lot of bloating and like physical discomfort. And so, yeah, it's like a very, it's a big minefield for somebody who's struggling with body image to like enter that space of like infertility treatment. Yeah. Do you see?
2: You know, I don't know if you've treated clients with that have done you know fertility treatment that are struggling with body image or disordered eating or eating disorders, and then see them go into pregnancy and struggle in pregnant within pregnancy, and how even body image comes up there. I know I've seen it with some clients, but you know, always interested to hear other perspectives on working with clients that are pregnant and those changes that they go through and the struggles that they have Mm -hmm.
1: yeah well and I think it's different for for everybody like everybody responds differently and you know I've had clients who have had children who are in recovery and or maybe are really just still struggling in their eating disorder who said like pregnancy was like a kind of respite for them from body image issues, this idea that, like, oh, like, I can actually celebrate something that my body's doing and, like, feel good about it and that, like, allow it to change. And for other people, it's really painful, like, having to figure out, like, between, like, body dysmorphia and such frequent, like, body changes that are happening in pregnancy and what is going on with my body. I don't feel like my body is my own and, like, I'm also not even sure like what to feel about all of this and weight gain has been so terrifying for so long and now I'm supposed to be gaining weight and it's a bad thing if I'm like my doctor's like upset with me if I'm not gaining weight right like that 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 can be a really difficult um, switch to manage and you know I, I think that like even in residential treatment there were some cases of people coming in to residential treatment while they were pregnant and were really struggling and like really cared about their pregnancy and they were really still struggling to refrain from behaviors or like tolerate the changes that their bodies were going through and needed some of that more support.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a theme, you know, that I've seen. I've also seen a theme where, you know, clients have struggled, you know, previously with purging and then they you know, are in their recovery and they're not purging and then morning sickness comes and there's such guilt around like an involuntary behavior that, you know, it's really, you know, a mind, like you said, a minefield, like it's just completely like their minds are, you know, completely twisted around it and they're not sure how to respond and they're kind of baffled and there's a lot of guilt I think around it too. And that I've seen, or not just guilt, but shame too, of like, i worked so hard and now this is happening and I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I think that's always process and a place to be. And it's definitely working through that and, you know, working on that shame and that guilt that they're, they're coming up from to kind of get them to a place where they're, you know, able to sit and, you know, decipher things out and kind of, give some self-compassion and love and acceptance of the situation and move forward. But.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We have, whether we like it or not, we have zero control when it comes to pregnancy, which Lauren, I'm sure you can attest to. <laughs> um, you know, like we don't have control over what our pregnancies are going to be like. We don't have control over what labor and delivery is going to be like. We don't have control over how our body's going to react. Mm-hmm. And- that as we – I mean, outside of eating disorders, just general anxiety, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and even leading up to kind of like getting pregnant too because one of the kind of like long-term effects of like having struggled with an eating disorder for a long time is that it can affect fertility also. And so there's a lot of like shame that can come up around that and feelings of guilt and you know, this struggle for kind of like wanting to feel in control and figure out like, was this something that like, is it that like side effect of struggling with the eating disorder or would I have struggled with infertility anyways? Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a lot that's outside of your control around like this topic of like getting pregnant, trying to conceive, dealing with the pregnancy itself. And then I haven't gotten here yet but not to mention the afterward (laughs) where you're in this whole new life stage of being a mom and then like there are all of those pressures around kind of like losing baby weight right and like it it kind of starts all over in a totally different way and so there's a lot to to contend with for like women in particular at this stage of life who have struggled with an eating disorder or body image issues and are trying to navigate all of the different pressures with this like big life transition. For sure.
2: For What's coming up for me as I was listening to Lauren talk about like postpartum stuff is as a couples therapist, how does body image show up we'll say like just in general or even as like postpartum in couples work.
0: Ugh, you're hitting me with the tough questions on a Friday, <laughs> Gabby. <laughs> well, okay. I'm going to say this again. I know I said it earlier, but I am not a therapist who specializes in eating disorders or disordered eating. So if there's anyone that's, you know, is part of a couple or any form of a relationship that is, clearly showing signs of that my first recommendation is that I'm going to refer them to someone who they can see individually who mm-hmm. can help with that. I feel like that should be that needs to be put out there. So, pending that, <laughs> uh it's it's really hard, right? So, sometimes we see this come up uh with attraction, which I think as a therapist is just personally really hard to sit with when someone says, "I'm no longer attracted to my partner because they gained weight." Right? Ugh! when I tell you that is one of the hardest things to to sit with when you're working with a couple. But then we have the other side of it. If there is someone who has experienced significant weight loss because of, again, maybe disordered eating, an eating disorder. It can also be unrelated to that, right? If someone lost a ton of weight. But that's not what we're talking about today, obviously. So it can go the other way, right? Someone can say, my partner is struggling with this and I'm no longer attracted to them because they have lost significant weight. Those are really hard conversations, I think to have as a couple's therapist because on one end, how do you tell someone that what they can and cannot be attracted to mm-hmm. right? Um, and on the other hand, how do you not make the other person feel terrible for where their body is at?
2: Yeah,
0: right. So that's a, that's a murky that's, that's a murky territory. Now if we're talking about general body image, mm-hmm. it's so nuanced. And I, and I say that because it really is just situation to situation. Again, it, does it come down to whether your partner is attracted to you or do you think you're not attractive, right? And I, I'm specifically focusing on attraction because that's what a lot of what comes up in couples therapy around um, body image, right? It's usually attraction, and, you know, if you don't believe that you are an attractive person, right, if you're not happy with yourself, your partner can tell you till they're blue in the face that they think you're the sexiest, juiciest, wonderful person alive, and you're not going to believe that, right? And so that kind of just goes back to that individual work, right? Uh, so it's it's tricky. I mean, I think when this comes up a lot in couples therapy, it does go back to getting that individual processing Going and individual therapy and helping your partner be educated on what's going on, right? Giving your partner some form of understanding of, again, whether that's an eating disorder, disordered eating, or just general struggling with body image, right? I work a lot with like patriarchal societal expectations around body and femininity and masculinity and all of these things. So we could go down a whole rabbit hole about that topic. <laughs> so I think giving your partner some education. Your partner educating themselves too, right? Because it's not just your responsibility. And finding ways that your partner can support you around body image, but are not responsible for your body image. Oh, okay. Right, I like that. It's kind of like the same thing with triggers, right? Mm-hmm. No one is responsible for our triggers except us. Yeah,
2: it's mm-hmm. the same thing
0: with body image. Now, again, this does not cover like if your partner's just a jerk. <laughs> and it's just like mean to you about your body. That's a whole different thing that we're talking about in couples therapy. But if we're talking about, you know, a couple that's coming in, they're really struggling with this aspect, it's really affecting their relationship. And both partners kind of just want to solve this, fix it, make it better. We're usually talking about communication, support, and education. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I'll, you know, end rant.
2: No, I love it. I think it's all relevant and I think it all fits with this. And, you know, because, yeah, as an individual therapist, there's very little times where, you know, struggles come where the client is there and they're, you know, talking about all these struggles they're having with their partner. And it's then like referring them over also to couples therapy at the same time. And, you know, we're working on things and then things kind of come out in couples and work and, you know, sometimes it is like, that in between you know gray area,
0: yeah, well, I think you're you're talking to that collaborative approach again, right, of you know, just all working together and and I know I talked a lot about attraction, um but there's other things, right. Sexual issues can come up depending on where someone is with with their body, and um again, it, we're it's a gray area because there's a big difference between someone who's struggling with their body image versus someone who's struggling with an eating disorder, but there's there's a lot that can come out that can be worked on in, in couples therapy
1: yeah well and i love that question i love your answer to fern like because a lot of people who struggle with eating disorders do struggle with intimacy men and women and i'm an eating disorder specialist but not like a sex therapy and like couples therapy specialist and so like where i, I feel like there's a nice kind of like collaboration in terms of even this conversation that like where one's experience like ends you know like fern years begins and- yes <laughs> But, but yeah, you know, I think like you come, like even like mentioning the systems of like patriarchy and femininity Mm. and all of that, like that's so present in body image and it's so present in intimacy and relationships and that there's like so much overlap and like very much so like it's all related and all very like interconnected in terms of like the, the root cause of like what's creating the problems to begin with.
0: Absolutely
2: connecting it all back to kind of this idea of like, where do we struggle maybe individually and how does that even come out in our interpersonal relationships? And, you know, what can we do to not only support ourselves, but even sometimes as like the, you know, partner or somebody else in the relationship, how can you support that person in moving through and some of this body image, disordered eating struggles that there are and I think it's just in general like helpful of like what are rules to like think good things to not say right like there's always
1: that right there's always like what's helpful versus not helpful I think it's a, a good kind of like idea in terms of like if it's something that you're struggling with in your own relationship to kind of like take a bit of an inventory of for yourself, like what are those things that are like really not helpful to hear, right? It might be like comments on your body, sometimes even positive comments when you're struggling with body image and like really working on your relationship with yourself, like somebody making any comment about your body, even really well-intentioned and in a positive, like can be really hard to tolerate. And so what are those things that like you aren't ready for or like really feel like are kind of like triggering you that you might want to communicate with your partner or family member or just kind of like close friends about even of like like hey I'm really working on my body image or hey I'm like you know struggling right now can we not talk about your diet can we not talk about your exercise routine or like comment on anybody's body right like because i think that's one of the things that can sometimes get missed especially in families like people kind of overlook the impact of like making comments on other people's bodies and maybe think like oh because i'm not making it about this person who's struggling that like why why can't i make a comment on somebody else's body but there's a lot of like people hear those comments and like there's a lot of meaning that gets attributed to them and they can be really painful even if it's not about that person or they can be really triggering and so coming up with that list for the people in your life that want to be able to support you and like sometimes that can be really tricky too if they're in their own right like we talked I mentioned kind of like that concept of an almond mom like sometimes people are able to make those adjustments and be able to be supportive sometimes they're struggling with their own relationship with their food and with food in their body and like might not be able to kind of like get to the place that you might need for them to be able to most effectively support you. And that that can also be really hard. So kind of our last question that we always ask Lauren is,
0: are there any resources that you can think to just suggest for anyone who's maybe questioning their relationship with their body or with their relationship with food or exercise, anyone who might be actively Um, in an eating disorder, or even anyone who's just supporting and loving someone who's going through that, just anything that you suggest, I think would be super helpful for our our listeners.
1: Yeah, NIDA is a really great organization that has a lot of resources on their website for anybody who's struggling with an eating disorder, or if you know somebody who might be struggling and looking for a place to start in terms of like, looking for support and to get help. And so I would say for, for eating disorder resources, that's a great place to start. I I often recommend like for people struggling with body image and like examining their relationship with body image, The Body is not an apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. That's a really, really like wonderful, wonderful book that looks into kind of like the the intersections that we were talking about today and like the systems of privilege, like packed into body image. And I, I believe she also has like a workbook, which I think is really wonderful. I'm a Hayes like provider and it, that's like one of like the values of our practice. Yeah. There's a health at every size book that um, is a little bit more kind of like clinical, but can also be really helpful if you want to get into like, kind of like the details of like what that what that means to no longer kind of attribute like size and health And then Instagram's also just, like, a really great resource um, that's really accessible. There are tons of, like, registered dietitians who specialize in eating disorders who have really wonderful content and um, some other therapists. I am not one of (laughs) the therapists who is, like, very active on Instagram, but there are some really wonderful therapists who have really great content that can be super helpful if you're, like, wanting to work on your relationship with your body and... Like if you're in or thinking about recovery. Yeah.
2: I was going to say, we love body image with Bray. We'll tag it. She's
1: always great. She has great content.
2: But yeah, there's a plethora out there on Instagram and TikTok these days of really positive. We're looking at registered
1: dietitians specifically. There's a big difference for our listeners that a registered dietitian is like the top caliber tier and that you know people who go by different like names right like it it would be the difference between going to see like a licensed therapist or seeing like a, a life coach right anybody can really kind of use that term life coach regardless of their training same with like nutritionists versus like registered dietitians have like very extensive training and um licensure
0: Lauren, thank you so much for coming on today. It was really great to, to just pick your brain and get your perspective on all of this. It was, it was really lovely. Thank you. Yes. Thank
2: you so much for coming and yeah, talking about all this with us and as we clearly showed that we can have, you know, many more episodes where you come and join us and talk all day with us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys both so much for having me. And um yeah, I'd love to come back and chat about one of the number of topics we covered <laughs> yeah. briefly in more detail. Of course. Mm-hmm. Anytime.
2: Um, so if you like this episode today, make sure you rate us, share us, leave a review, and follow us and subscribe. And we will see you guys next week. Have a great day. Thanks, night. everybody. Thanks.
0: Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To suggest a topic, submit a question or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.